Welcome to the BSG Trainees podcast. Today we are joined by Professor Diraj Tripathi, consultant hepatologist and liver transplant physician at University Hospitals Birmingham and honorary professor with the University of Birmingham. He qualified in 1994 from the University of Edinburgh. His particular area of interest is in portal hypertension and he has published extensively in this field, including an excellent recent guideline on transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic stent shunt in the management of portal hypertension. He was also recently elected to the BSG Council and is currently chair of the Portal Hypertension Special Interest Group for the British Association of the Study of the Liver. He is chief investigator for the ongoing Calibre trial, a randomised controlled trial of carvedilol versus variceal band ligation in primary prevention of variceal bleeding and cirrhosis. Outside of hepatology, he is regional counsellor for the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow and member of the NICE Interventional Procedures Advisory Committee. Welcome to the podcast, Diraj. Thank you. Um, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, first of all, um, can we kick off with you telling us a little bit about your inspiration to go into medicine and then become a hepatologist? Uh, thank you very much, uh, James, and thank you for inviting me to, to this uh, uh, podcast, which is obviously aimed at trainees. And I'm delighted to share my journey and experiences. So what really attracted me to medicine? Well, I, I mean, I suppose if this, this is something that others have said. I come from a medical family. Uh, so so uh, my father uh, was a retired GP. So I've always been surrounded by medicine. And in those days, the GP would be single-handed. There was no out-of-hour service. And uh, uh, so my, my dad used to be woken up by the bleep. Uh, you, sometimes I used to be, and you know, you'd think, why, why would, why would you want to go into medicine? Uh, but my father was was my inspiration, uh, and uh, uh, he, he loved working with people, with patients, uh, and uh, you know, see, seeing seeing that he made a difference uh, made me really interested in in medicine. So uh, I went through the usual processes, which I think haven't changed a great deal. Uh, and uh, then graduated from uh, University of Edinburgh all those years ago uh, and uh, went through the normal training uh, pathway. So, so I was the pre kind of uh, uh, SPRs, like in my days it was SHOs and then going on to registrars, that was the way it was. And then the new system, the Kalman system was introduced. Uh, but before even getting to to, to be the, get a numbered post, uh, I completed a period of, uh, of research. Uh, and really that was thanks to particularly gastroenterologist in a hospital uh, in Larnarkshire, uh, which is actually no longer there. It's, it used to be called Law Hospital. It's been replaced by uh, Wisho General. And, and he really put me in touch with uh, the liver unit in Edinburgh and particularly Professor Hayes. Uh, and it was, it's, it's quite strange, this, this story really. So I was on uh, leave and I had communicated, there was no real emails in those days or, or anything else. So I communicated by email, by uh, letter to Professor Hayes expressing an interest in hepatology and research in particular. Uh, and uh, I didn't really hear anything. And the next time he I hear from Professor Hayes was he actually phoned me and left a message on the answering machine 
So I picked up the message on my return from leave and he said, you know, there's a position for a locum registrar in the in the liver transplant unit in, in Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. Are you interested? And I kind of jumped up and down and I, and I phoned him the next working day. Unfortunately, you know, the, the, the post was still available. That's kind of how I got my door, my foot in the door, really. Uh, and that's how my specialist training started. Fantastic. And I mean, if you grew up with a bleep in the house, I'm, I'm surprised you still pursued medicine, but, um, but we're glad you did. Yeah, it was it was it was an experience, but it's just the difference that that you know doctors make to 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 people, uh, you know that that uh, to patients and also the patients' families as well. It's 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 about the whole. Uh, uh, it's not just about one person; it's about the family as well. Absolutely, and and was it that was that research that kind of set you on the path, um, and with your fascination with um, portal hypertension. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Professor Hayes, uh, who was my supervisor when I when I joined the Royal Infirmary in Edinburgh all those years ago, he had a particular interest in portal hypertension, and he had set up uh, quite a nice um, uh, lab, if you could call it that, uh, where he performed phase two studies, uh, doing hemodynamic studies measuring the hepatic venous pressure gradient, and drug trials. And I was not the first, really. There were uh, my my predecessors included Rajiv Jalan, Adrian Stanley, and Ewan Forrest. So we were all involved with the uh, phase two portal hypertension studies. Uh, but I, I was particularly interested in the drugs, drug therapy for portal hypertension, beta blockers in particular. And I did a number of hemodynamic studies uh, with the carvedilol but also endothelin receptor antagonists, uh, which was a very involved uh, study uh, requiring uh, repeated visits. And I managed to complete my research, almost complete my research in the just, just over two years. Uh, and uh, and as, as a result of the uh, my time in research or out of program time, uh, I was able to uh, uh, complete a thesis on clinical uh, and hemodynamic studies in portal hypertension. So I was um, uh, awarded an MD for my uh, clinical research. But I've always had this interest in in, uh, in beta blockers and uh, the, the effect of beta blockers in portal pressure. And uh, so, so that that really led on to the big trial, uh, which is the uh, carvedilol versus band ligation. So this is the first trial, first ever trial phase three trial of carbidolol in uh, portal hypertension in patients with uh, viruses that have not bled. So I was involved with that and that really led from the hemodynamic studies that uh, I was uh, fortunate to be uh, involved with uh, when I started my research in Edinburgh. It must be um, really exciting to have, have been part of something that's had such a, a massive clinical impact on so many patients' lives. Uh, indeed, uh, this this is. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> of course, we did. As with clinical trials, you know, you have a hypothesis and you do a study, and you, you're not sure what the outcome is. So, pure, very much pure research, because as you said, this 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 has not. There's never been a previous phase three study in in this context in this group of patients. 
uh, and you know in those days it's still a relatively large study just over 150 uh, participants over uh, five sites so a relatively large study uh, and we did we did you know show that that carvedol was indeed uh, if effective and I'm very grateful to all the collaborators really this would not have worked with that collaboration from all the other uh, other sites so this was in the days before we had proper clinical trials units so really I mean I didn't it was myself and other research fellows. We didn't have a, a big a university or other clinical trials unit behind us, so it was quite quite a different quite a different time. Uh, but but uh, Peter Hayes was always <clears throat> very supportive, and as were my other clinical supervisors. Uh, uh, and, and 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 I think this kind of the the the, the, the importance of research is is kind of coming around again it's it's absolutely important and it, it improves patients lives saves patients lives uh, and and i think the carvedilol trial is a real example of that and as you said it has had an enormous impact uh, internationally uh, in the uh, management of patients with uh, portal hypertension absolutely and obviously another crucial part of your job is is as a transplant physician um was that something that uh, was was a natural a natural fit with your work on portal hypertension and and how much do you, how do you enjoy that work? So th thank you, James. So when I started my specialist training, it was actually working as a transplant registrar uh, in the Scottish Liver Transplant Unit all those years ago. So I was introduced to, to transplantation at a very early stage. And uh, in those days, you know, the registrar did pretty much everything. So we were going around, uh, you know, uh, we had twice daily ward rounds and doing all the liver biopsies our, ourselves uh, and, and even putting in lines and things ourselves as well. So we did have intensive care support. Uh, and I was also involved in transplant research as well uh, initially. And uh, I did some work on the impact of TIPS in patients in liver transplantation. And uh, so that was we did two uh, two publications uh, in in that topic. Uh, the first was in Edinburgh, and then the second was in Birmingham, which is a collaborative uh, effort. Uh, and and I find transplantation you know, absolutely fascinating. Uh, this there's still you know there's been, there have been some some huge advances over the last few years, uh, and Birmingham in particular has been a, one of the major players in the uh, recent research with regards to machine perfusion. We've talked quite a bit on this podcast about mentorship and you've mentioned some really inspirational people in your life. Um, how important would you say mentorship has been to you? It, very, very important because, you know, as, as somebody who's in training, uh, it's, it, is, it is a lot of uncertainty uh, and also, uh, you know, the, the, there isn't the same amount of confidence as 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 somebody who's fully trained. At times, you know, my self-esteem was tested. Uh, so was I doing the right thing? Is this going to work out? I'm spending all this time in in the hemodynamic studies. Is this, you know, what is it all for? Uh, but the support from it's not just really from from one person. It's it's actually a, a the group. Uh, support from the group is really important and we're not just say, talking about the medical staff but also the other uh, worked very closely with the nurses and even Professor Aza's secretary was so supportive. Do you know in those days 
we didn't used to so nowadays you would submit to submit a journal you'd upload a few files uh, and then just click the submit after you've done a few checks but in those days we used to have to send everything you know in paper so i, I remember spending a friday evening just <laughs> printing out multiple copies they want nine or ten copies or something daft like that uh, and uh, so I, I I just couldn't do it, and I just couldn't get the photocopy to work. So I had to wait until Monday, and Professor Ed's secretary showed me how to, how to, how how to make the photocopier work. <laughs> you know, small things like that can 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 make a difference. But everybody was really so so supportive uh, at that time, and uh, and it's really thanks, obviously, to the leadership of of uh, Peter Hayes and. Uh, Particularly, um, also, you know, Rajiv Jalan was was a real inspiration to me as well because he just finished his research at that, completing his uh, training, and, and moved on to, to to fresh pastures. But he was a real inspiration and real proof of how one can combine clinical work and uh, research. Brilliant. I mean, imagine that a photocopier standing in the way of the publication of a. It's 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 crazy, isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't dream of that these days, would you? But in those days, it, there was no online <laughs> submission system, so it had to be done the old way. And also, the, the you know the the mail as well. You had to send it through a special. Uh, it's quite expensive sending it by mail, and again, you needed these needed the support from the secretary for all that. Absolutely, and. Um... And, and your your publication record now is is prolific. So, you know, congratulations on your recent publications in guts, on tips and portal hypertension, and on liver transplantation in frontline gastroenterology. Both of those have been really well received. And I've, I've certainly found them useful as as clear and thorough sur- summaries. How do you find balancing your academic commitments now uh, nowadays with with your clinical commitments? So yes, uh, th- thank you, thank you for that. Yes, it's. Um... I have to say those publications were, uh, in terms of teamwork, I mean, the real example of, of teamwork, you'll see there are many authors, <coughs> co-authors uh, in the publications, the tips and the uh, uh, liver transplant guidelines. And the co-authors it also includes patient representatives who worked incredibly hard, actually. They joined every single guidelines development group meeting uh, and uh, really made some very helpful comments and uh, suggestions. So it's very, very much a, a team effort. Uh, but it is, it is a lot. It is a lot of work. Uh, but I was very lucky to have a very supportive team uh, who would really always deliver to to kind of deadlines. Uh, and, and as a result, uh, the publications uh, came out in in in, in nice journals. So finding the balance is uh, I'm I'm learning I'm still learning <laughs> I have to say uh, so so the the academic side is probably so I would say I'm more 50 50 now I probably used to be 70 uh, percent clinical and 30 percent academic but becoming a bit more um, academic uh, as a result of the the recent uh, the, you know the caliber trial uh, and also uh, a trial that we're about to launch on on tips in acute variceal bleeding and also I've taken on role as uh, a clinical director of research for for University Hospitals Birmingham so so it's it's important to realize that there's only you know so much you can do in the time uh, and I think if I if I was starting off as a consultant I'd probably be thinking more 
spending more in doing clinical activity, uh, which is, you know, I think absolutely right because you need to really be very confident and and find your feet with regards to the, the to the clinical medicine. But as as you become more and more senior and uh, become more confident, you, you develop interest in particular areas. And to do well in something, you really do need to pursue your interests. Uh, and so this is what I've done over the last five or six years. I have uh, particular ideas. So everybody, all, all medics are incredibly bright uh, and all, everybody's got good ideas, but it's to, it's to uh, you know, to see those ideas through. That's the real challenge. And there are opportunities along the way, but, you know, you don't always get things the first time. It's important to keep keep looking for opportunities, keep trying again and again, and and, and you, you never know, you know, uh, the idea that you had in your mind might actually be exactly what the funder was looking for in your in the grant application. Uh, so so nothing, no time is really wasted. So even if you're putting together a submission or a grant and you, you weren't successful the first time, that time is absolutely not wasted uh, because that that your 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 mind is you're richer for that experience. Uh, uh, and, and so I think this is what's happened over the last few years, and, and I've been uh, lucky and fortunate in having very good support from my clinical colleagues. This is also an important area. Uh, so you, you do need to uh, speak to your clinical colleagues and uh, and really speak to them about your passion. This is, you know, what I've, uh, these are the ideas I have, uh, and, and, you know, to bring them along and, and uh, uh, and they, they, you know, the clinical colleagues will, will support you. That's been my experience, uh, certainly with with, uh, with where I work at this time. Uh, and I'm very lucky and very thankful for the support I've received from my uh, uh, immediate peers and also from the from the institution as well. So it's it's a it's a it's a number of things, but I'm I'm still you know nothing is 100% perfect. But I think I've got a reasonable balance at the moment. I'm comfortable with the amount of clinical work, and I they never. I don't think I'd want to go drop to below 50% clinical commitments because I'm still doing my own calls, for example, uh, because I enjoy the kind of hands-on uh, emergency care and I do endoscopy still. So I'm still going to keep keep all of that going. I think that message of no time wasted will come as, as real solace to trainees writing grant applications. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's never, never wasted because even at this time, with an NIHR, there's the opportunity to submit an expression of interest. So if you have a, a good idea for a research study, you can just express, submit an ex expression of interest. And it even if you're not successful, that they will pay attention to that idea and it may inform future uh, uh, um, uh, funding opportunities or, or commission briefs. So, so th this is what I've learned over the years, you know, time you spend doing grant applications, time in publications, I don't think that time is really uh, ever wasted because you, you do become richer for that experience. Great. And, and where do you see the major advances lying within hepatology over the next decade? And, and feel free to narrow down to portal hypertension if you wish. In the last few years, uh, I don't need to tell you that huge advances in management of hepatitis C, in particular, the directly acting antivirals, where we're seeing uh, clinical uh, efficacy and effectiveness 
of uh, well over 90%. And we were really talking about real world evidence and it is absolutely remarkable how, how, uh, uh, how much this has advanced over the last few years. Uh, and, and the next kind of next few years, uh, a disease area that's particularly, although it's not my kind of main interest, is, is fatty liver disease. I see a number of developments in, in fatty liver disease with regards to drug trials. Uh, uh, there's, 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 there's many trials and, and a lot of uh, industry funding for these uh, clinical trials. So they, I, I'm predicting that there may be significant advances in, in the area of uh, fatty fatty liver disease with uh, with the new new drugs that are in the process of clinical trials or may even be in the process of being being licensed for fatty liver disease although we're not quite uh, quite there yet with regards to portal hypertension i think the challenge at the moment is you know when do we start these therapies for portal hypertension uh, there's we just published uh, there's a long term follow up of the original carvedilol versus banding study uh, this was published uh, just recently, and we showed that the survival was better in the beta blocker arm, and that was quite quite a, an important uh, uh, observation. Although the, it wasn't a full RCT, but it was a follow up of a previous RCT. But still, it makes you wonder: is the effect of beta blockers purely on portal pressure, or there are are, are there other pleiotropic effects that we don't quite fully understand? Uh, for example, you know the, the the improved survival was not necessarily due to liver-related mor mor uh, morbidity or mortality. It was it was other things. So I think we need to understand a bit more about the uh, the uh, the impact of therapies at different stages uh, in the in liver disease. We sometimes refer to them as the Bovino stages of kind of early compensated and clinically significant portal hypertension, which moves on to the decompensated stage, and then. Uh, you have uh, patients that can develop uh, acute decompensation or acute on chronic liver failure, and then they can recompensate and improve. So what we want to do is, is, to, is to really prevent the decompensation. That's an area that I'm particularly interested in at this time. When do we start uh, drug therapy to, to prevent this decompensation, uh, ascites, encephalopathy or bleeding? Do we, do we start as soon as a patient is diagnosed with cirrhosis? Do we have any surrogate markers to guide us with regards to the patients that, uh, with regards to stratifying patients that may be at higher risk of developing these complications? Uh, the, the main marker that we have, and this is what I did a lot of in my, in my research, was measuring the hepatic venous pressure gradient. That's invasive and not really widely available in many uh, uh, centers outside of academic units. Uh, so, so it's by no means ideal, but it is the gold standard. And there's a lot of research at this time uh, trying to discover uh, surrogate markers of, uh, of decompensation in patients with uh, early cirrhosis. There was a recent PRODISCI trial which showed that uh, beta blockers can reduce the risk of decompensation and, and death as a composite endpoint. But we need more evidence. We really, really need a non-invasive surrogate marker to, to stratify these patients because it may be that that not everybody benefits. So there's a, there's a bit more work to do there, uh, uh, not just looking at the beta blockers, uh, but also looking at the uh, more uh, uh, mechanistic aspects, for example, inflammation, bacterial translocation. Uh, 
I think these are areas that, that require further study. And, um, and what would you say is your proudest achievement to date? So, uh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I suppose it sounds a bit corny, but apart from you know, kids, <laughs> the, the other, uh, in terms of my, my professional life, I, I, it, I have to say it goes back to my time doing research in, uh, uh, in, in Scotland, in Edinburgh Infirmary, and really working on the original Carvedolol versus banding trial. Didn't know at the time that it would make such an impact, but I'm extremely proud of uh, working uh, and privileged, feel privileged to be working in, in such a, a supportive environment uh, and, and to have made such an impact uh, nationally and internationally. And the story goes on, as I've alluded to, uh, the story goes on. It's certainly not the end. There's still much more to be discovered. Wow. And, um, and, and so, yeah, you've, you've mentioned your family. Um, what, are your, what are your loves outside of medicine? So I've got two young children, so spending as much time as I can, and uh, and and they they very much appreciate it. They know when uh, you know daddy's busy, but they they don't like it when daddy's busy. But when daddy's free, I make the most most of my time with my children. Now, before all of this events in the last year, I used to love going out to uh, concerts and and uh, and and uh, you know gigs in particular, uh, and. You know, I'm really sad I can't really do that at this time. So music is a real uh, love of mine. Uh, and uh, both my children love playing their instruments. My son plays the violin and my daughter plays the piano. So, and, and, you know, we can spend all evening just listening to the, to the kids playing. So this is my kind of live entertainment at the moment, listening to my children playing on the piano and playing the violin. Uh, and uh, you know, it's we can do that all, all evening, and, and it's so relaxing. And at the end of a hard day, to listen to some to, to some music played by particularly your children, but that's that's something. Hopefully, of with the country opening up, that I might be able to go to a concert in the near future. I'm very much uh, looking forward to that. And the other area I think that we all love as a family is travel, and, and the kids love going up in aeroplane. We we're a bit apprehensive initially, but uh, they just love going in the aeroplane and and uh, and they even like the, the food, believe it or not, they even like the food, which is which is a new show. And um, and then uh, and, to, and to leave off, if you had to pass on one piece of advice for an early career gastroenterology trainee or someone considering applying for a training post in gastroenterology or budding hepatologists, um, what would you say? Yeah, so so it's very important that that uh, that you you know you're not, not never to think that you're alone because you're always part of a team, and and that is really in my experience the key to success. Uh, and the, it's 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 you obviously you have to have the internal drive, but also those around you that that make you who you are. Uh, and and if you have a passion or uh, or something that's driving you, really, really go for that. But, but also speak to others around you, you know, take others in your journey as well. Uh, and, and I find that people that do that are, are, are usually more, more successful than those that tend to, that like to go out, do it on their own. Uh, so I think just never give up, work with others, bring others along, work in a team, uh, and uh, never think that whatever you've done is 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 time wasted. Any uh, 
particular, if you're pursuing a grant application, even if if you are not successful at that time, that experience is 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 uh, uh, is of great value, and makes you richer and makes you more uh, better uh, for that experience, and also improves improves your chances of uh, success in any future grant applications. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Diraj. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the British Society of Gastroenterology Trainees podcast. Please do listen to our other episodes available at www.bsg.org.uk forward slash trainee podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes and Pocket Casts. And don't forget to give us a rating and leave a review wherever you listen.